reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times, articles, or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. This message is brought to you by Kevin Weeb. I once interviewed a man named Shane Claiborne. That was for the Pavology video series a number of years ago. And he talked about the incarnation. That's this term we use in theology to talk about God coming to earth in the form of Jesus, in the form of a human being. Then he told me something that he learned from his Spanish-speaking friends. He said that when you order a taco, and you want to order it with meat, you order it con carne, with meat. And it has the same word, con carne, as incarnation, with meat. The incarnation is God with meat on. (laughs) God made in human flesh. Jesus put skin on and moved into the neighborhood. The incarnation. And that's what Christmas is all about. Is God, the literal king of the entire universe, coming to the town of Bethlehem. And in the scriptures it says, there was no room for him at the inn. What an interesting phrase that some translations put it. We'll dig into that passage more this morning. No room for him. (laughs) Jesus con carne. (laughs) I like that. Jesus with meat. God with skin on. Let's look at our main passage today. It's not a very long passage. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 and reading verses 1 to 7. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's, ancestor, uh, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. And here's that famous line, because there was no lodging available for them. This is the New Living Translation, and that's how they put it. Let's compare this line in a few different translations. So the King James Version puts it, There was no room for them in the inn. That's how they would put that. The New Living Translation we just read, there was no lodging available for them. The NIV puts it, there was no guest room available for them. And the English Standard Version says, there was no place for them in the inn. So it's all a little bit different. Each translation kind of has their own... Uh, if we would read it just on its own, it would give us a slightly different understanding of what it's getting at. Um, this week, we had our Christmas ministerial and board dinner. Um, 
Typically, every year, we get together as a board and ministerial, and we have a supper together just to uh, celebrate the year of ministry and spend time fellowshipping together. Um, through COVID, that wasn't always possible, so this was the first one we were able to have uh, together since COVID. So it was a, a wonderful evening, again, to, to fellowship together. So while we were having our supper, I was working on this message, and I asked, because, you know, pretty much everyone uh, has roots in Mexico, and in Mexico, the Mennonite communities are, are these nice little farming neighborhoods out in the rural areas, and in German, they call it the DARP, you know, uh, these little communities off in the countryside. And, and I asked the question, if you go to visit your family in the DARP, these little farming neighborhoods, do you stay at a, at a hotel or a motel? <laughs> and, and someone said, you can now, if you want. And someone said, you can? <laughs> I guess that was news to some people, that usually they didn't have hotels or motels in the dark. I mean, it's kind of like saying, you're going to come to Stevenson, where our church is, and stay in a, in a hotel. Well, there just is no hotel. This is a small little rural area. It's the church and a couple of houses. Now, Bethlehem is a little bit of a bigger area, but similar to the DARP, <laughs> if you go there, you don't just stay in a hotel. That's not really how their society worked. Um, it wasn't exactly set up in that way. Um, they didn't have Holiday Inn Express or, or that sort of thing. Um, people would have guest rooms in their homes for travelers. Um, is often how it worked. Let's, let's take a look at, at the word that's used. I think it's worth taking a dive into this morning. The word Catalima, Cataluma, uh, not exactly sure. I looked up how to pronounce it, but I um, promptly forgot because sometimes those things slip my mind. Um, it means a traveler's lodge, um, but more often it's used as guest room. Um, think of in the Old Testament, there was this guy named um, Elisha. And Elisha traveled through this town very often, and there was a man and a woman that invited him into their home. And they welcomed him in quite often, and the woman said, this is a man of God, let's build a guest room for him above our house, so that when he comes, he can have a safe place to lodge. So they did. They built the guest room above in their house, so that Elisha, when he was traveling through on his different ministry journeys, God would send him on. When he was in this town, he always had a safe place to rest and to spend the night. So they built this upper room in their home for Elisha to stay in. And he was so thankful for this. Um, he, he blessed them with, uh, or God blessed them rather, with the ability to have a son, even though they had been barren for so long. And then later, that son got sick and died, and this woman was stricken with grief and rushes to Elijah or Elisha and, and Elisha comes over and, and heals the boy um, and it's another miracle. And, and in this story, this place, this hotel or inn or whatever, um, is a guest room in someone's home. And so that's even before this, like this kind of gives you a glimpse into the culture of, of how uh, how people would stay in when they would travel through. Or think of the angels um, when they went to Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's family takes them in. You know, it was a dangerous place to be when you're traveling in the ancient world. There was often a lot of brutality. And it wasn't like they could just go find a hotel to stay in. 
That's why you had, again and again, through the scriptures, these stories of travelers coming through, and then godly men and women would see the travelers and take them into their home. Because, again, it's not like Holiday Inn Express or some other type of traveler's lodge or whatever. It's, it's often a guest room in their house. Now, that's the more, the more common usage is how, how we would use it. We would say that's our guest room, our spare bedroom that we would have for, for guests that are traveling through. Um, but the way we travel today, we often think, you know, motel at the side of the road or something. But that wasn't exactly how their culture was is set up. Think of it more like when you go to Mexico, you go to those little communities that they call the DARP, you stay with family. And now that there are some DARPs that have hotels, some of your family might be offended if you'd stay there. Why didn't you stay with me? You know? We've got lots of rooms. Stay in our house. You know? It, it's, uh, there's cultural things attached to that, right? There's expectations from family if you're going to come visit. Why won't you stay at our house? That would have existed back then, too. A lot of expectations around um, hospitality and that sort of thing. Here's an example of of another usage of this this Greek word. Um, This is later on um, in the story. Jesus is uh, about to be crucified. This is the, the Last Supper. So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet, him, will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner. The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the same word used here for the upper room where they had the Last Supper, that is the exact same word in the Greek. That's used earlier for there was no room for them at the inn. Right? It's the upper room in the Last Supper. Um, That's the same word. The upper room in the Last Supper is the same word used for the inn. Right? And so our, our ideas around the inn is a little bit different. You might wonder why I'm spending so much time on this. And, and it's, it's actually important. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in a second. See, Joseph and Mary were returning to Bethlehem where their family was from. The whole context of this is there was a census and they had to return to their ancestral home. They had to go to where their family was from. It would be like saying if, if Mexico had the power of saying, you have to return to the DARP that your grandparents grew up in, in Mexico. And for those of you from Mexico, you had to make the journey through the States, back to Mexico, and go to the DARP where you were from. And you make that long journey, and, and you get there. You know? And so that, that's kind of the context here. They're going back to where their family was from. And in this way, their culture wasn't too different from ours. When we travel from place to place, to, to save money on hotels, we try to stay with family and friends. And then we both save money, and we also get to spend some time with our loved ones. And you know, even beyond that, just as a little rabbit trail here, there's a book you can order that helps you save money on hotels and allows you to stay with Mennonite families all across the U.S. and Canada. Check this out. It's called Mennonite Your Way. Um, you can order it online. I, I think I've 
told you about this before a few years ago. But for those of you who don't know, it was started by a group of Mennonites wanting to show hospitality to other Mennonites or others who needed lodging while they traveled but couldn't afford hotels. So they collected names and addresses across the U.S. and Canada of Mennonites who were willing to host people. And I share this as just a fun little rabbit trail just to remind us that the idea of hospitality is not something that's really out there. It's not this ancient idea that's really foreign to us, that people staying in our homes instead of hotels is, is not this crazy thing, right? This, is, this should be familiar to all of us. And so as we think of Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, we've probably watched a few too many Hallmark versions of the nativity story and just assume that things would have been a bit too much like that. Um, You know, a modern day barn or something like that. Uh, Kenneth E. Bailey, um, he did a lot of research into the Middle Eastern culture. I first encountered Kenneth Bailey's work uh, when he worked on um, talking about the prodigal son and the Middle Eastern culture going on uh, in that parable and the things that we miss as North American readers when we read the prodigal son. So, for, for instance, one example, just as another rabbit trail, when, when, he, when we read about the father uh, seeing his son coming home after being a prodigal son for a long time and the father sees his son at a distance and the father starts running to meet the son, Okay? We don't think much of it in our culture. Father runs to his son. Yeah, of course. No big deal. But in that culture, that would be very, very undignified for a father to do. The father would never run to their son. That would be almost shameful for the father to do. And so the father is breaking all kinds of cultural rules there. He is throwing all of their rules out the window to show how excited he is that his son is coming home. And so it just it, it opens up that story in, in all kinds of ways because of his work in trying to understand um, Middle Eastern culture. And so he, he wrote this book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, as well, that unpacks some of these things about the Christmas story as is, is part of it in there also. And, and he wrote this. Even if he has never been there before, talking about Joseph, He can appear suddenly at the home of a distant cousin, recite his genealogy, and he is among friends. If Joseph did have some member of the extended family resident in the village, he was honor-bound to seek them out. Furthermore, if he did not have family or friends in the village, as a member of the famous house of David, for the sake of David, he would still be welcomed into almost any village home. So he was of David's family line, and this was the city of David, Bethlehem. He could go to any home. They would be honor-bound to take him in. So in light of the work of folks like Kenneth Bailey, other scholars who have done a lot of research on this topic, to think that this Greek word, katalima, kataluma, that, it mean, that the word in means a corporate hotel of some kind instead of a guest room in a family home is largely inconsistent with the culture. Let's take a look at a couple possibilities here, some some drawings of what it might have looked like. Diagrams of blueprints of houses. 
So there you see um, on one side of the house is the guest room, then the family living area, and at the back, this is the interesting part, they would have their animals at the back of their home in a separate area where it's a little bit lower, like a dip in the house, but it helps keep them warm, right? The animal's breath and warmth helps to warm the family in the colder nights too. And then they have the mangers in there, uh, in the home, so them and their animals are under the same roof. So it's not a separated area where the animals are from the family. But the guest room is separate. The guest room where they house their guests is a separate area than where the family stays. So when guests come, they get the nice separated off area, a little bit more privacy, a little bit nicer. The family is a lot closer to the animals, and that's one of the, the possibilities and steps going down to, to where the animals are staying. And a door going out so that they can lead the animals out to water or whatever in the morning. There's another, another diagram where uh, we see an upper room made for the guests, where there's some, some spaces for the animals, there's a kitchen there on the, on the main level, and then the upper room is where the guests would stay. And again, as the heat rises from, from the animals and, and the people and everything else, then they, they receive the warmth up there. But there's an upper room version of that. Ian Paul wrote an article this, uh, this year, actually just uh, last month, on this topic. And that's where I found some of these images as well, which I believe come from Kenneth Bailey's work. He says this, what then does it mean for the Cataluma to have no space? It says there was no room for them, right? Why does it say there was no room for them? So what does that mean? It means that many, like Joseph and Mary, have traveled to Bethlehem and the family guest room is already full, probably with other relatives who arrived earlier. So Joseph and Mary must stay with the family itself in the main room of the house and there Mary gives birth. The most natural place to lay the baby is in the hay-filled depressions at the lower end of the house where the animals are fed. The idea that they were in a stable, away from others, alone and outcast, is grammatically and culturally implausible. That means away and separated from everyone else and alone, most likely not. Remember, this place was packed with people. Bethlehem was full of people. And the way that they kept their animals was in the homes with the families, not off in some distant place. It says, in fact, it is hard to be alone at all in such contexts. And so again, it leaves us like a little bit confused. Why? Why does this matter? And I'm hoping you're asking this question because it does matter. Um, there's a lot more kind of information about this. So if you're really curious about more in-depth kind of academic study, please look up uh, the name Ian Paul. Uh, and, and you'll be able to find his article. Here's the problem with the, the stable thing. Dick France is another um, person that Ian Paul quotes. He says, the problem with the stable is that it distances Jesus from the rest of us. This is why it matters. It puts even his birth in a unique setting in some ways as remote from life as if he had been born in Caesar's palace. But the message of the incarnation is that Jesus is one of us. He came to be what we are, and it fits well with the theology that his birth, in fact, took place in a normal, crowded, warm, welcoming Palestinian home, just like many other Jewish boys of his time. 
I really appreciated Ian Paul's article kind of putting a lot of these things together. That, that uh, helped a lot with my study in this. The fact remains that the king of the universe didn't arrive in distant luxury or even in special hospitality, but Jesus came humbly. Right? He came humbly. And not much we know. He didn't get the special guest room in the house. He didn't get the palace with Caesar or with King Herod or anywhere else. There was no special hospitality for Jesus. And the fact that he was laid in a manger um, was something somewhat unique. This was, in fact, the sign the angels told the shepherds. And I'm not going to talk too much about the shepherds because that's another message. But this was the sign given to them. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. This was how the shepherds were to find Jesus, right? So it wasn't going to be like there were three dozen babies lying in mangers that night. You know, there was going to be one. Um, And that's how they were to find him. A baby in this humble setting. So he did come humbly, but it's not quite in the way that we think, right? In this this kind of way where he's portrayed as off alone somewhere, likely surrounded by people, most likely. And it matters because Jesus wasn't distant from humanity or from the lowly. That's not how he lived his life. Was he shown this special hospitality? No. No, he wasn't. But was he completely alone? I don't think so. Most likely not. I suppose it is possible, but very unlikely. And I think that is important because that's why Jesus came. He came to be one of us. Jesus with meat. (laughs) The incarnation. Jesus, God, con carne, right? came to be one of us, among us. And he didn't choose anything special. He didn't choose the palace. He didn't want to be separated in some special way. He wanted to be among the people. And so even from day one, his very first day on earth, he was among the most ordinary of people, among the family and the animals in the most normal of ways, in the most lowly of ways. The real scandal of Christmas is that God left heaven to come to a broken earth for us. We sung a song this morning, and the song says this, that he would leave his place on high And come for sinful man to die. You count it strange. So once did I. Before I knew my Savior. Jesus left that heavenly place. Perfection. To come to earth. That's the real scandal here. And he didn't come wanting to bring the 
pleasures of heaven or the luxuries of heaven with him. He came knowing he's coming for the people to a life of poverty. Coming for the broken, for the lowly. And you look at who he called to come worship him. <laughs> who got the angels song? That's a, that's a message for another day. Had they known Jesus was the king, they probably would have rearranged their other guests. And yet this is exactly how Jesus chose to live, among the lowly. Jesus didn't seek the best of everything. Jesus didn't seek luxury at every turn. He didn't seek upward mobility. Jesus came to serve. Not to be served. Had Jesus been able to speak that day, I don't think he would have chosen to stay in the guest room. I think he would have been content with the manger. I think that is exactly how God had planned it. As a sign for us of the nature and character of the God that we serve. A God who serves, <laughs> this is quite something. Remember what Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, you know. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. What kind of God does that? In the ancient world, they had all these pagan gods, and these pagan gods demanded all of these sacrifices. They demanded human beings bow to their wishes and give up all kinds of things they demanded even the sacrifices of, of their children. Come offer your children on the altar as a sacrifice. And God only once asked a human to do that. And then he stopped him before he could follow through. While it was a test for Ab Abraham asking to sacrifice Isaac, it was just as much to communicate to Isaac, I am not like the other gods. And we're taught that God abhors that practice. He hates that. God is not like those other gods demanding such things. He is a God who loves. He is a God who serves. He is a God who died for us. Yes, if Jesus would have been able to choose, I'm sure he would have chose exactly this. given the guest room to someone else. I don't think he was um, accidentally ripped off in any way. I think he chose this. But it begs the question of us, how do you treat the lowly? Do you see them as a fellow human being or do you try to distance yourself from them? You know, it's, it's amazing just the, the difference that an attitude can make in some of those interactions. There, there's a story I was told once of, of a man who was homeless. And he was at a bus station. And he didn't know what time it was. And he asked another person, do you know what time it is? And the other person just looked at him 
said, yeah, of course. And looked at their watch and told them what time it was. Have a nice day. Went on with their day. And this homeless person was floored. They, they didn't know exactly what it all meant at the time. They, there was no way they could know. But for the first time in a long time, someone looked at them, not with pity, not like just ignoring them and walking away, not pretending like they're invisible or pretending they didn't hear them. Someone looked at them just like they're just a normal human being and literally gave them the time of day. That's all. Said, yeah, it's, this is the time. And they felt like a human being for the first time in a long time. And they thought, well, m- maybe, maybe I'm worth something too. And they started to think, maybe, maybe I'm worth more than what I, I thought I was. And they started to make better choices. They got into a program to get off the street, to get a job. Eventually they became a pastor. And it started with this pivotal moment where someone told them what time it was, looked at them, just as a human being. And that's important. How do we treat the lowly? I wonder how many people that happened to with Jesus, where he just looked at them and said a a small word and something transformed in their heart in a way that, that they knew this was a special moment in their lives and God just used it to change the direction of their life in that kind of powerful way. Or do we just pass judgment on others? See them as lesser somehow because of their lot in life or because of the choices they've made? Do we distance ourselves from them? James 2, 1 to 5 says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this, discriminate, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? In Zechariah, before Christ came, there was a prophecy about Jesus. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah 9, chapter 9. Jesus was a humble Messiah. And so too we are to be humble followers. And we are to love those who are humble as well not to scorn them yes the real scandal of Christmas is that God left heaven to come to a broken earth for us this is what we'll come back to again and again Matthew 1 12 look the virgin will conceive a child she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us God with skin on. Jesus didn't receive the 
best of the best of hospitality, but rather received only humble hospitality being laid to rest in a manger. He likely wasn't off in some distant barn far away from others, but was likely in a crowded home somewhere right there among the people. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, God with skin on, with meat, (laughs) con carne. What is really incredible about all of this is that if these people would have known who Jesus was, they would have been embarrassed that they didn't give him more. And yet I believe that Jesus would not have wanted more, but would have insisted that the guest room went to someone else because of the way that Jesus lived and served, the way he came to serve others. So did they turn him away? In a sense. Is it a scandal? I don't think quite as much as we make of it. But there is a scandal that takes place every day. This is it. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. People turn away from Jesus every day. Jesus says he stands at the door and knocks. Jesus is waiting for people to open the doors of their hearts to let him in. And there are many who are turning him away. Jesus isn't looking for a shiny heart to come into. He's looking for an open heart that will welcome him. And he will be the one to help make us clean. So don't turn away our king. Don't have a hard heart towards him. We see in this story that Jesus was given a humble beginning. But I don't think he was that bitter about that. I think he was okay with it. So what will you do today and every day that Jesus knocks on the door of your heart? Will you have time for Jesus? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for the way you served. We thank you for the way that you lived as an example to us. And Lord, we thank you that you stand at the door knocking, wanting to come in to our hearts, wanting to share a meal with us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would all be open to you and your spirit. Lord, may we never close the door of our hearts to you. Lord, and even where there are messes in our hearts, even where there is brokenness in our hearts, may we not hide it, for you are the only one that can bring healing. May we not be ashamed 
front of you, Lord, but rather bring it to you, for you are the one to make us clean. Lord, we thank you that you love us so well. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be able to fully experience that love deeply this Christmas season.